Hi there, welcome to Chinwag with me, Mike Laverick. Um, I've not gone away, I'm still doing the old wags with, with people from the community. Uh, with me this week, I've got uh, Lauren Malhoyd. Uh, Lauren, can you uh, say hi to everybody? Tell us where you are and uh, how did you get to be in, in IT, if we can call it IT. Sure. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm in Indianapolis, Indiana right now. Um, I started out in IT, I guess, uh, about 10 years ago after college um, in Toledo, Ohio, kind of Detroit, Michigan area. And since then, I've kind of gone, um, I've, I've gone on a bit of a Midwest tour of the U.S. <laughs> I've lived in probably five or six different cities and and kind of started out in help desk working for a uh, gas stations basically that, that owned a bunch of you know convenience stores and, and doing that and then kind of moving up through private and 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 government and all sorts of things to you know network administration and and now uh, I actually work for a partner um, and I do kind of implementations and managed services things like that so I'm I'm on the engineering side um, and so and you're mov you're moving around the the Midwest to different cities is that been moving from one role to to another. Yeah, it's 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 uh, some ladder climbing, I guess I, I would say. Um, you know, kind of getting f as far away from from any help desk as I can to uh, more more um, I guess VMware networking um, that kind of thing, and and really concentrating on on those things rather than also I've been more in an SMB um, role where you kind of wear all hats and and uh, you do a lot of networking, but you also do security, but you also do help desk and basically you're just putting out fires. And so now um, I still put out some fires, and uh, but I also try and, you know, do uh, best practices, designs uh, and implementations. Sure. I mean, I find I, I put out fires, but they're generally ones of my own creation, so <laughs> I, I can't go... What have they done? It was all working when I left. It was like, oh, that's something I did, didn't I? Okay, I better put out my own fires all the time. So um, as ever with the Chinwag, there's been a little bit of to and fro between me and Lauren uh, through the email. Um, I want to keep focused on the whole frustrations of infrastructure theme that we've had and the restructuring of the infrastructure. Um, but um, one of the things that came out in the email was um, Lauren was saying that you were being... Uh, taking the Cisco certifications uh, specifically around uh, vBlock and VCE and all that kind of thing. And uh, I wanted to ask you more about, you know, how the, the change to this kind of converged environment where you, you know, your networks are collapsed, storage and Ethernet becomes a kind of one network, how that's affected the way uh, yourself and the organization that you're working for and even the customers you might deal with about how they structure their own ways of, of, uh, of delivering that. Has it changed the way you kind of view what it is that you do? You know, it's hard to say really because it's, you know, yeah, it's it's a real live thing that's happening right now and there are definitely companies that have implemented it, but it's not something that that's so big yet that, you can really see any restructuring yet. And I think that both management and and the IT departments themselves are, are questioning whether there needs to be restructuring within the organization. Um, and, and I'm sure they even disagree on some things. And I know IT departments are concerned about losing their jobs and, and whatnot because, 
you know, the V-Block is supposed to make everything so so much easier. You know, it comes pre-configured with VMware, um, and, and it, it's all been tested. And basically, you just pop it in like like a rack and, and hook it up, and, and everything's supposed to run hunky-dory. And, and, you know, you have your software-defined data center. And um, But but I don't know that, that it's really going to change the, the organization that much. I mean... How many times have we said that when when virtualization first came out, or you know, cloud or IT always gets worried about, you know, this is going to take away my job, and I, I just don't see that being that big of an issue anymore. I, I think there's still going to be things to do, and maybe this gives us the opportunity to really concentrate on um, less putting out fires and more, you know, compliance and security and, and the detail oriented things that that maybe we're not usually able to get to. Sure. I mean, one of the things I've been working on is a, a presentation, and one of the topics I've picked up on is bottlenecks and how once you alleviate or remove a bottleneck from one part of the process, what it has a tendency to do is expose bottlenecks any elsewhere, and that's always been true of networking, but it's also true of business processes. So maybe you're right. If, if we do get these more efficient ways of delivering the physical infrastructure in, into the environment, just like virtualization got rid of the, you know, the need to raise a purchase order and get a server delivered and wait for it to be unracked and la la la. That that exposed bottlenecks of its own. Mm -hmm. uh, the the things that were slowing things down weren't the things that were there before. And it's it's I guess like anything, if you've got a bottleneck upstream uh, and you take that out of the way, what it'll do is display bottlenecks downstream or hopefully, as you just said, give you the freedom to focus on other areas. So rather than it being a threat to your job security, it's it's probably actually going to keep you in the job because it's a new thing. Somebody's got to learn it, and then somebody's got to manage it as well. Right. And uh, if it does make things more efficient, what it'll do is expose other things that we perhaps weren't <laughs> doing as well. And look, there's your new uh, area to, to get into. Is that mm. the way you kind of see it maybe happening? Yeah, I agree. You know, more money, more problems, I guess. But, um, uh, you know... It, I think there. I think you were talking about this on your chinwag, maybe with Craig. But um, um, the people that are unwilling to change or, or learn new things, they they may not have. You know that that might be an issue. But that's always been an issue, right? Mm. Um, so I think the people that are learn like willing to make changes and learn new things are are gonna. Keep their jobs and and move move ahead, move along, maybe even move up the ladder. I've got a funny anecdote about that actually. I think one of the uh, VM worlds that was in in Cannes many years ago, uh, I was walking down the street after having a few drinks, and I met this guy who was just sort of busking on the street, you know, and he was he didn't have the flashiest of guitars. It was a bit of a ropey guitar, and I got chatting to him, and I knocked out a few tunes on his guitar to raise him some money. And then we got talking and he told me that he had formerly been a network guy in Banyan Vines and formerly done a bit of novel work. And I was like, Banyan Vines, God, that's going back. But And I said good night to him, wished him all the luck. And as I was walking down the street, it's like, this is what happens if you don't keep your skills up to date. <laughs> or if you think that uh, learning one thing and trying to, you know, protect that thing has been your little, you know, Thing that keeps you in the money is a little bit of a dangerous thing if you and I, I thought you know there's a warning from history here that if I think 
my entire career can be based on just knowing ESX and Virtual Center for the rest until retirement, I might end up with a beat of guitar in the street if I'm not careful. And it, we're always pushing the boundaries because I think a few years ago, uh, knowing those things, there was an awful lot of kind of um, commercial value attached to it, whether you were a contractor or you know whether you were looking for a regular job. But those skills are becoming increasingly more common amongst a greater and greater number of people. And, you know, that does things to rates and job security, doesn't it? So if that's your worry, then it's time to perhaps to look at other areas and diversifying mm-hmm. a little bit. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm talking out the top of my hat here. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And, you know, that is kind of the old school IT way of, you know, don't tell anyone what you know and don't learn anything else. But but I really think the opposite is true is, you know, especially with the way virtualization is going and things like the V blocks, um, you know, having more knowledge about more things. Granted, yeah, you can lose some of the the deep, deeper, you know, skills that you would have if you had one niche and and you just knew that and you did that for your whole career. Um, But I think also learning other things. um, Broadens you as an individual, doesn't it? Yeah. And it can enable you to learn what, what you're specifically trying to learn too. Well, uh, back in 2003, I knew nothing about virtualization. And in 2006, 2007, I'd really done no replication on any storage array at all. And I just looked at those things as, oh, well, something new to learn. So, mm-hmm. um, I don't Isn't know. that amazing? In, in six years, you've become the expert now with the book, you know? Well, you know, I'm always a bit wary of the term expert <laughs> because every day about things I've written st- about, I find things and I go, oh, that's mm-hmm. not in the book. You know, I didn't get it in. I, you know, I've never seen that problem before. Oh, God, it's not in the book. What will I do? But you just right. have to kind of accept that that no matter how expert you become, there's always something new, even about the technologies that you've been playing with, that is different, you know, and Mm -hmm. so it will be, I guess. All right, well, we sort of talked about V-blocks and, you know, maybe how hardware is or isn't changing the way people work. Um, The other question I wanted to ask is a a much more sort of broader one, which is about this term, the software-defined data center, which I'm sure within the next 12 months, whenever this phrase is used, people have the same sort of sighing effect that they currently do when you use the word cloud. They're going, <sighs> but right now it's a, it's a bit of a fresh term. It's, uh, you know, only VMware and maybe a couple of others are starting to say, well, we do software-defined data center too, me, me too. Um, but before um, the, the term becomes a kind of a bit careworn, uh, does it does it mean anything to you? Is it just an empty uh, marketing term, or is it a useful way? Do you find it more uh, resonating than than cloud is, uh, or uh, do you just not care or not interested? <laughs> well, cloud is certainly easier to say, um, but I <laughs> I do like the bit of uh, alliteration that comes with defined data center. Um, I, <laughs> I don't know. It's 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 a marketing term to me, honestly, and and I know that it it does mean something. It means a lot of things. Again, like cloud, will we really be able to define it? You know, you, you take different technologies, and I won't name names, but but you know, there's a lot of argument whether this is software data, you know, uh, software defined networking, or isn't it? You know, but it, I, again, I just think it's it's a bit. You definitely couldn't say it to anyone 
who wasn't in the know, um, who hasn't read up on, you know, VMworld or, or things like that and, and haven't mean anything to them. Mm. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I lose it. There's no, there's no definition really. No, I mean, I think one of the things we were talking about offline was the thing that I found absolutely amazing this week was, um, Ed Halecki was saying that he actually likes the term software-defined data center. And um, anybody who knows Ed knows that he's pretty scathing about any terms or any marketing kind of terms whatsoever. But his kind of angle was, was, and I think I understand where he's coming from because I actually do prefer the software-defined data center term to cloud, is it feels a little bit more concrete uh, because when you take back the label, there are bits inside it such as, the software-defined networking, um, you know, taking the kind of network layer up out of the physical switch and into you know another area, and you can almost point to the software-defined uh, storage in the way of VMware's VSA or any of the number of the VSAs that have come out from the storage vendors. The trouble I've always had with cloud, and this is coming from a, a cloud infrastructure evangelist, <laughs> is by definition the term is a bit amorphous. And it's now also sort of passed over into kind of domestic retail use. So, um, you know, this thing with uh, Apple's Maps Mm -hmm. and, uh, (laughs) you know, the fact that certain towns in the UK have just disappeared and gone to other places in the UK. Um, Apple's line on what was is it's a cloud-based solution and it will improve over time. And it's all like, well, anything That's that doesn't I'm... work, you can say it's a cloud-based solution which will improve over time. And everybody go, everybody go, all right, yeah, yeah, you know. So you know, now we've got ordinary. I guess the, what I'm waiting for is for my mum, who's in her seventies, who's got a computer, to start saying, yeah, I'm going to start storing my pictures in the cloud. Mm-hmm. Like once she says that, I'll be like, this, this is sort of got uniform across the mentality of all people whereas i guess for people like ourselves working in infrastructure you take a term like that and you want to define it in a very clear concise kind of way and maybe the reason that the term cloud has become so ubiquitous and so popular is it it can be used in many uh different ways and i think for me these terms are more like a shorthand um, yeah. So rather than having to go through paragraphs worth of stuff, I can say the cloud, the software defined right. data center. Everybody goes, yeah, I know what you mean, roughly. Um, let's get out of the way and let's talk, uh, you know, specifics. But I, it sounds like for yourself, you, you still feel it's it's a term that needs more fleshing out than than it does at the moment. It, for me, it does. Um, I just think that especially the software-defined data center without breaking that down into software-defined networking, software-defined storage. Um, There, I guess it does get a little more specific, but it's still, I mean, you hear, like, speaking in tech, they talk about, you know, the different software-defined networking companies or or companies that are coming out with it. and, And, you know, there's arguments over whether it really is or if it's just kind of, you know, management on, on a different layer, things like that. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, it, there's certainly many, many different t- techniques for doing what they call network overlay. Mm-hmm. So on top of your physical NICs, physical switch, distributed switch, what you then put on top of that as a layer that kind of abstracts the complexities of, of VLANs and stuff like that, there are more than one way of doing it. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was, I'm going to line up Stephen Foskett to talk about software-defined storage because he's a storage specialist. Mm-hmm. But one of my opening gambits is going to be if you actually look in detail at software-defined storage, 
there is at least two or three different ways of doing that. So you could have a virtual appliance of some description. That virtual appliance could speak to underlying direct attached storage, or it could merely be the head of a storage array that's been put into the virtualization layer, but it's still writing to a, a tier of disks that have come from NetApp or EMC or whoever the storage vendor is. Mm -hmm. And then there's the the appliance model, like the Nutanix people and like them, you know, come along and buy our server, which already has ESX on it and our own distributed file system. And then there was this tech preview of distributed storage. So pretty quickly, once you peel back the, the, the sticker that says software defined uh, storage, you'll find that it's four or five different things. Mm -hmm. And those four or five different things, I think, have different advantages and also disadvantages. So we're kind of back where we've always been in a way that there's there's five ways of doing things. Customers look at the advantages and disadvantages and the cost of each one and go, that's the software defined storage I want. I don't want or like the other way of doing it. But I think that's a very interesting model that um, although it's it's currently a term that we're espousing at VMware, it's a lot more kind of open to other possibilities than I think maybe than people have first imagined. But you know. And I think anytime you struggle with terminology, especially in, you know, an engineering role, if you're if you're calling something one thing and someone else is calling it another, then it's hard to come together sometimes. It's like me talking in centimeters and kilometers and you talking in, <laughs> in, in uh, miles and, and in yards, you know. A exactly. Whole, whole planets have been missed <laughs> because, uh, you know, the Europeans and the Americans were on different numbering systems. We I thought think that's you said what happened. kilometers. Oh, you know, that's why we missed the moon. Darn it, that you must know. be what happened to Apple Maps, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, before we move on to a, perhaps a different question, one of the things I saw up on, on Twitter uh, just this week was Scott Lowe of EMC was getting frustrated with somebody who was sort of trying to indicate that the software-defined data center would mean that there would be no hardware in your, in your environment, which I think is kind of funny because I, I wrote a blog post for one of the VMUG leaders in London, Jane Rimmer, called what is the software defined data center but i started off with a picture of a data center that had no equipment in it just empty racks with no storage no networking no power no nothing as a bit of a joke you know that the software defined data center doesn't mean you'll just have a server room with tumbleweed like drifting mm -hmm. through it i mean i literally i was desperate to try and find a picture of tumbleweed in a data center but i just couldn't find one on on google images but yeah, I, I don't think we're saying that, are we? That because we were just talking about how you've got this new uh, V-block converged architecture, and that's meant to make life simple from a hardware perspective. And I'm kind of thinking maybe the the software data set defined data center is the opposite end of that pole, and it's where those two things meet will be the infrastructure we'll be managing in the future. Is is that a, a stupid thing for me to say, or is that a, a worthwhile thing for me to say? Do you think? It I totally agree with you. Um, I mean, obviously, hardware is still important, um, and, and maybe it's even more important. You want it to be pristine, and you want it to be running, and you don't want to worry about it anymore. Um, so you do need to kind of worry about it in the beginning, um, just so your software to find everything runs well. You mm. know, um, it's still hardware, is still kind of your point of failure you know um it, it may not be a single point of failure depending on how you have it set up but but it's still 
it's still there no matter if it's you're paying for it or renting it from from a, a cloud uh, provider or something like that yeah, or yeah. you have it in your own da- data center excuse me That's okay. um, <clears throat> well but, i mean here's here's another angle on it then which is uh, i knew when i started asking people in these podcasts what does the software define data center be you I would run the risk of people going, nothing. (laughs) (laughs) So I figured while we were talking, here's another way of kind of phrasing that question, which is we've been through the last decade, what you could call compute virtualization. We used to have this thing called the physical server, which you would install the the OS to and your applications to. And then this this, uh, revolutionary newfangled concept called virtualization came along. And within a relatively short period, a very short period of time, that old model has become regarded as being a bit legacy and a lot of companies are now adopted virtualization first policies. So in the bad old days, I used to have to try and convince people that virtualizing servers was a good thing. Now the boot is on the other foot and application owners have to give me a good reason why it shouldn't be virtualized rather than the other way around. Yeah, so that's where we we are and different people are in their different ways in the journey you know 20 percent, 30 percent, 40 percent right we've all seen the graphs yeah yeah we've all seen the graphs that's by and by but you could argue is does that mean does that is that where virtualization stops you know once we've got uh, all our servers and our desktops virtualized that's it our work is done does that mean the network and the storage and dr can stay where they are and be what they've always been before VMware came along or before virtualization came along, or do they have to change? Well, and do you, is it going to be that same fight, I guess, you know, networking, for instance, are you going to have to convince the network administrators now, like you had to convince the server admins before the same way? Um, that's that's definitely an interesting point, and I, I don't know that we're there quite with the networking, um, especially for larger enterprises. Maybe, you know, a smaller company could get away with doing all, you know, software-defined networking and and have it work. But, and I honestly am not uh, an expert on that, but um, still you're going to need people that know networking. Um, you're going to need Cisco. <clears throat> for instance, I was at a UCS user groups meeting yesterday afternoon, and you know, they say that, and this may not be right, but from Cisco, they say that the concept of the VXLAN came from them. Um, and I think that's important to note that just because you're virtualizing something doesn't mean the hardware goes away or the people involved go away. Mm. I mean, for me, what it means is rather than that control plane being down a controller on an array, mm-hmm. maybe that intelligence is higher up the stack Mm -hmm. and by virtualizing it you give it more portability Mm because one of the um, jokes I was making not about um, this kind of area but virtual desktops is is look at how a physical desktop is constructed you know you've got your hardware and the operating system is stuck to that super glued I said together and so your applications and to a lesser degree your data is all Mm -hmm. super glued together and none of it is detachable without it all breaking apart so if you want to take your app somewhere else or your data somewhere else or your operating system somewhere else you can't i think maybe where i think maybe here's one way of looking at it is you know we talked about you know the sql guy or the exchange guy being reluctant to have a virtual machine but 
virtualization first came in from server guys mm-hmm. who for those people who got onto it they owned that part of the stack they owned the server they more or less dictated that so i wonder whether we had a more gentle incline for compute virtualization because rather than installing windows or linux or whatever it is to the physical box what they did was take out an ESX CD and install that to the physical box and then created their VMs. They weren't mm-hmm. really doing touching the network or the storage as massively as you basically saying, well, you know, our servers used to run this. They now run this in this different thing altogether. That's easy to do when you control that particular part of the architecture. But when you're making requests that are bigger to another team, that's a bigger ask, isn't it? I mm-hmm. think. So I'm wondering whether you could say it's similar. You know, the uh, application owners were always resistant to virtualization. Look how we won that one. It doesn't necessarily mean the next fight is going to be as easy or even fought in the same way. It'll be a a new battle, a new frontier, and maybe we'll have to organize our troops in a different way and, you know, get, get some of the opposing troops to actually come over the no man's land onto our side a little bit more than perhaps we were in the past. I mean, I know virtualization impacted on the network and impacted on the storage, but mm-hmm. if you look at it at this level, it's of a different order all, all, all over again, isn't it? That kind of level mm-hmm. of change is, is much greater. Now, you mentioned that you were recently speaking at a, um, at a was it a VMUG or a Cisco uh, user group? Sorry. Yeah, it was VMUG. I actually had two yesterday, so um, VMUG, though. So, obviously going for your, your, uh, your user group awards, and you were speaking <laughs> about uh, distributed virtual switches, and I, I had on my list before you even told me this um, what your vSphere 5.1 highlights are, so I think probably a good place to focus on is distributed switches and how things have changed within uh vSphere 5.1 so i mean you can run us through the list of new features i could do that as well but what i'm trying to get from you is why are these changes significant um should we care about them or should we not care about them what's your Uh, view i think the most important thing i took away is that the distributed switch um is more stable now and and admins should feel um safer uh about having all of their networks, including the management network, on the distributed switch. Um, So, for instance, rollback, I think, is the neatest feature ever. Um, What it does is uh, if you make a change to the management network and it causes it to become disconnected, um, that change after about 20 or 30 seconds will then roll back and or at least not go through but they're calling it rollback um and then all of a sudden your your uh vm kernel port's pinging again and and you're good to go you know not to make that change again um but i i mean i've i've had experiences just migrating um my management network to from the standard switch to the distributed switch and and even got on the phone with vmware support about it and and this was in previous versions obviously um and and they were saying you know well maybe it's a good idea to have one leg your management network on the standard switch and, and the other leg your distribute on your distributed switch so your virtual machine networks um and and that's a not a huge pain to manage but but why not have it all on, on one on the distributed switch um so I think it, along rollback, uh, recovery, um, backup and recovery are, are 
another thing that just let admins uh, sleep better at night uh, about their their configs. And, and you know, you can back up and, and recover, restore uh, physical switches. And you know, you you always have been able to. So so why why not do it with the virtual? And now we can. So that's it's pretty exciting stuff to me. Yeah, I've um, recently switched over to using the Virtual Center Server Appliance mainly because I've been making that many changes to the lab environment. Mm-hmm. It seemed to be an opportune moment to throw away the Windows Virtual Center and throw away the Windows SQL box I had and just go all in with the virtual appliance. And I've done the same thing with distributed switches. I, I used to have a combination of both, mm-hmm. um, mainly because in the writing that I do, I never know whether a customer's got Enterprise Plus or not. And therefore, I would have to show SRM with standard switches and SRM with distributed switches anyway. But for this particular project, I'm sort of learning vCloud Director at the moment and ramping up to do the exam for the VCP because I don't think I can be an evangelist for VMware and actually not ever installed or used any of the products. (laughs) That might hamper me a little bit in being a a good spokesman for the company. Um, So I still believe in keeping my hands on, but I have moved over to... Everything is on the distributed switch. I migrated an existing uh, standard switch configuration I had on vSphere 5.0 or ESX 5.0, upgraded the host to 5.1 and then migrated everything across, not a problem. Um, And it has actually saved my bacon this week because I laid out two DBS switches, one for management infrastructure, I've called it, and one purely and only going to be used by tenants in the cloud. So I'm keeping my internal stuff, vMotion, FT, management, yada, yada, all on one set of NICs and the virtual machine or VApp traffic on totally different NICs. I guess that, mm-hmm. that's perhaps a little bit old hat, but I just feel more comfortable doing that. Yeah. But I, I'd forgotten that vCloud Director would have two NICs and the second NIC would be for the console proxy for bringing up a window on a VApp or a VM. Oh, well, all I had to do is off to the DVS, console proxy port group, do 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 on my ESX hosts. With the standard switch, I mean, I know this is not particularly new, but with the standard switch, I would have had to be writing some power CLI mm. to re- loop through all of my ESX hosts and put that port grip on vSwitch zero. So like, even just in a short period of time, I started to think, why didn't I go down this route ages ago? Right. Um, but I guess perhaps the other trigger for doing that is so many of the features of the account director work better with uh, distributed virtual switches are designed for distributed virtual switches. It was another one of those, you know, now is the time to burn your bridge and mm-hmm. cross cross over the water and, and do everything within the DVS and leave standard switches behind and treat those as, as legacy. But um, I don't know what you, what you feel about that. I mean, out of curiosity, do you have views on how distributed virtual switches should be designed because one of the most popular blog posts in the last seven years was the best uh, standard switch configuration because it was so flexible you, you know you have a big massive switch or a different switch for each thing how would you handle your teamings do you need internal switches yada yada you know you could write a blog post a go go do you have views on the opposite side of the house about distributed switches and how they should be designed you know, I think it's it comes down to the uh, the best answer an IT person can ever give, which it is depends. it depends. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, like you said, it depends on if you have vCloud Director installed. And I, I'm not a vCloud Director expert, but but you know, that's going to change the way you have things set up. Um, and 
you know, I, I think just the most important thing is that you make sure you have redundancy and you make sure it's on the hardware level and on the VMware level um, and, and network health check, for instance, with the new VDS. Um, and sorry for those of you who don't have Enterprise Plus and you're listening to this, but um, but the new network health check actually checks your physical layers now and, and makes sure that you don't have VLAN mismatches or MTU mismatches or NIC teaming policy problems um, that can rise about, especially now that LACP uh, in the dynamic mode is supported. Um, I think, you know, first and foremost, that's what's important. Uh, just make sure that your environment is, is pristine. Out of curiosity, those sorts of configuration mismatches between the physical world and the virtual world, get this the right way, physical world, virtual world, have you actually seen those in production environments where they've got switches on different uh, jumbo frame sizes or they've got 803 AD link aggregation enabled on one switch or they've got, have you seen that in production environments? Funny you should ask. Uh, yes, <laughs> I just uh, experienced that a, a week or two ago. Um, they had LACP um, in, in dynamic mode, so it said, you know, mode active, and um, but they're on 4.1, or they're on 5.0 now, um, so that's not supported. It's not supported until 5.1, mm. um, and it was, it was in a view environment, and we had a host of other problems, but, um, but that was an issue, is that they had the dynamics ported and we just kept getting um, agent unreachable on our view desktops. Not on all of them, mind you, because, you know, some of them would still get the proper networking, get the mm. proper paths, but but some of them wouldn't. And and once we turned off LACP and, and put the NIC teaming back to um, um, route by source ID, I think it is the yeah. default. Um, so were they getting, then, were they getting, um, oh, this is going back. I used to talk about this on my VMware courses. Packets going out through one switch layer, but coming not back through the same layer and back through a different uh, path, and therefore it, it would arrive at the destination and the NIC would just go, that's not for me, and discard it. Was that the sort of thing they were getting? Exactly, and then the, the, um, the view desktop couldn't connect to the connection server, so... Yeah, a lot of agent unreachables in, in the problem desktop uh, tab. And how long did it take for them to actually work out that was the issue? Well, there were actually a couple different issues, too. Um, so oh, it's all, never one problem. issue. It's always a series of ones stuck together, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And uh, not to shameless self-plug, but I actually did just write a blog about it. But, um, yeah, there was a DHCP, DHCP issue in that it was just pegged at 100%. And then there was a host issue. Just for some reason, the ESXi, uh, the kernel, we couldn't even ping between um, two view desktops on the same switch in the same VLAN, which, as you know, um, doesn't even you know hit the hardware at all. Yeah, yeah. So it should it should have pinged. Um, I ended up just totally wiping out that ESXi server and, and reinstalling it. It's but. an interesting anecdote. This. So there was this uh, issue with. Um uh, the load balancing being enabled and not being supported. Mm -hmm. How did that happen? So somebody within the network team on one switch, it wasn't enabled on another switch. It was or something like that. Some sort of inconsistency between the various physical switches that had happened. So was it um, the network guys problem? It's always the network guys, right? Or, or it's the storage or it's the DBAs. It's never me though. Um, I, there was another company managing their networking. Um, and I think that, 
they're just not as familiar with with the VMware, you know, what's supported and what isn't, and you know, and they shouldn't be. They're they're not VMware people. Um, and and this job just kind of came into my lap. I, I just started my particular job now a couple months ago, so um, it just kind of rolled out to me. So I, I can't even answer how it got to be that way. But um, you know, LACP is has been around forever and. It's not a bad thing to implement as long as the things you're running on top of it support it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny that you mentioned that because a couple of things about that, which is when I've had that experience in my own, you know, consultancy and whatever, it's people do things and they're doing it in good faith because they think it'll make your experience better. They're not going out to muck with you and, and right. make your life a misery although often that's the unexpected outcome a lot of these things that get done are done in good faith because they're following their vendors best practice and you know some instructor probably said on the course that you know this is a really good feature i recommend you enable it on all your switches and do it consistently yeah that's true but is it supported at a higher level and is that and then there's is that element of i think once you've got all these various layers in the stack, trying to isolate and find out where exactly that problem resides, because the very thing we want is kind of isolation um, to allow one layer to be inserted and moved around. But that isolation comes with sometimes a lack of visibility. And um, we've seen that in the early days of, of VMware and, and storage, you know, where, you know, this is pre-Vi and pre-Vasa it was quite difficult to actually get down to the root of where these problems resided at. And maybe that's where we're going with the network side of things, that more work is being done between VMware and the network layer, like this uh, health check, mm -hmm. that you can actually work out, is there a mismatch between the port groups on the same virtual switch or you know outside of them? I mean, I used to, uh, to test students on training courses, I used to play around with the... Uh, the lab environment that they were working in, deliberately creating conflicts. And one of my favorite ones, and I haven't done this in a while, is give two ESX hosts the same IP address for vMotion and see whether they can do a, a vMotion. Now, the great thing about it is if you vMotion from one ESX host to another that doesn't have the IP conflict, it works. Mm -hmm. So only ever not works between the two hosts with an IP conflict, which if you've got a 32-node cluster it's quite difficult to see. And the other good thing about it was, and I don't know if this is still the case, it gets to about 10% and then just sits there and just goes, can't do it. So you don't get cannot, cannot uh, TV motion because there's an IP conflict. It just goes up to 10% and stops. So I must give that a try. It's been a while since I've gone around like an evil, Dr. Evil, <laughs> breaking things to see what happens. Right. Um, well, but, even if you have like an RV tools or something, you know, if you have 32 nodes, you may not catch that there's the same IP. Yeah, so I think it's very interesting to have these sorts of health checks that, you know, check not just between the physical and the virtual, but between mm -hmm. virtual to virtual, because there are misconfigurations that can, can happen there too. I should mention that it, I don't think it actually goes up into the distribution layer and the core layer. I think it mostly just checks the, the access layer, the switch that it's attached to. Yeah, but I mean, still, it's, it's better than it used to be. One of the most common, uh, my one of my top blog posts when I was with RTFM was... Um, uh, how to put back uh, VNIC zero on vSwitch zero if either through an upgrade or through stupidity, you actually <laughs> sat on your own switch, like sawing uh, through the the branch you're actually sat on. Ah! You know, right. the number of people. Oh, that saved my bacon, and I thought 
it's it was so easy to to do if you weren't engaging the brain or if an upgrade went a bit mangled sometimes v switch zero would be mangled i think the two to three upgrade ESX 2 to 3 caused sometimes the, the uh, service console networking to go. But it's little things like that, I think. And that's that's a place for an admin to shine that, you know, a good admin can make a product work when it's working. A really good admin goes in and fixes the product when it's got broken, either through some sort of error in the software or some sort of error in the config. And the person who can go, uh, the reason that happened is because you've got an IP conflict on vMotion is the one that, will sort of separate themselves out amongst from the wheat and the chaff as ah oh, this person not only knows the product but can know how to fix it when things go a bit awry mm -hmm. well before we sign off i think we should get you to mention the name of your blog for this blog post and also <laughs> we should get you to selflessly promote your twitter id as well so give give us the blog url and give us the twitter id if people want to follow you um, well, I actually write for Tech Republic, so if, if you just go to Tech Republic and you can either search on my name, Lauren Malhoy, or I'm usually under the SMB technologist category. Sometimes okay. when I, they put me under the career category because I talk about uh, certifications a lot and things All like right, that. Okay. Um, so that that's basically where you can find me. There's not a particular URL as, as a lot of people contribute. You but, need to get your um, own blog. That's what you need to do. I, you know, I started out with my own blog, and that's kind of when I went to Tech Republic, and they started paying me to do it. So, well, I mean, if somebody's going to give you pay you to do something you would have done anyway, that's exactly that, that's exactly. a that's a good move. You know, oh yes, uh, thank you. I wouldn't have written that if you hadn't given me whatever uh, dollars it is. And uh, what's exactly. what's the Twitter ID, Lauren? It's at Malhoy, M A L H O I T. Not Geek Girl or something like that. Not even V Malhoit, just uh, Malhoit. <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much for being on the Chinwag, and uh, I hope to see you again. Uh, um, maybe have you back in at some later stage, and uh, I'm sure I'll see you on the, the VMTN podcast because you're a regular on that particular one as well, aren't you? Absolutely. Okay, well, thank you very much for your time today. All right, thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me.